Good morning. So um, today's reading is from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, um, to chapter 13, verse 1, um, which can be found on page 8 of the Church Bibles. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him unto the Negev. Well, thank you very much to everyone who's uh, shared so far in the, the service. And welcome again. Uh, it's great to be back up and running at the start of the new church year. Now, last Sunday, uh, Rog preached uh, a great introductory sermon on Genesis. If you weren't uh, there, please listen to it uh, on the resources section of the website or watch it on the YouTube channel. And the title of the sermon was Introduction to Genesis. That's not a very snappy title. Uh, I'm going to give it a different title, having listened to it a few times, getting excited about Genesis. Uh, let me add three reasons why I am increasingly excited about Genesis. And, and these are all true. I'm not just saying that to convince myself or, or you. Uh, number one, uh, because it's the first book. 
It's the first book in God's coherent revelation that is the Bible. Why spend all this time in book one? Why not cut to the chase and get to the climax? Or to put it another way, why spend time in the realm of promise, the Old Testament, and not in the realm of fulfillment, the new? Well, we're looking at Matthew and Sunday evenings, and that'll work really well alongside Genesis. But Sunday mornings, the small groups are in book one, the book of the beginnings. Now, many of us love C.S. Lewis' Narnia stories. Uh, even Disney got in on it with three franchises and scooped $1.8 billion. Uh, there are seven books in the series by publication date. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, Don Treader, Silver Chair, Horse and His Boy, Magician's Nephew, and The Last Battle. Each book, part of the bigger story, yet each book complete in its own right, embracing the major themes of the whole story. So, for example, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, everything is there in one book. You get to meet Aslan in book one, and all through. So the gospel is in Genesis, and the gospel is in Matthew. Without Matthew, we wouldn't have the full orb of the gospel, and nor would we without Genesis. Each is a vital part of the story, yet each a complete and coherent narrative in and of itself. Reason one. Second reason, I'm looking forward to Genesis, is that it will build on Hebrews. Hebrews was all about considering Jesus. And uh, looking back to the last church year, we needed Hebrews. I needed it. Many of you did. Hebrews taught us about Jesus, enlarging our understanding and appreciation and affections for him. Why did we study Hebrews? For that and so that we can keep going in the Christian faith. Genesis builds on that. It's all about considering God, his purposes, promises, and the multiple reasons we can trust God absolutely. Because there will be multiple reasons in the coming year where our circumstances will cause us to question and cause us to doubt at times in God. Now, the purposes of Genesis is that our faith will be strengthened. God said last week that Genesis is not intuitively the book in the Bible that you would turn to to read with someone going through a difficult time. Well, let's read one of the Old Testament stories uh, God is going to confound our doubts with that. I'm already uh, using it, drawing on it, reading it one-to-one -one with people, and it's just describing our lives and describing our God. It's so different from Hebrews in that it's a whole new realm of literature. Their narrative, history, reason three, the reason I'm looking forward to studying Genesis is that it's all about God. Now, the question we'll be asking at the end of this year is what have we learned about God? The hero of the story in Genesis is God. That is true of the whole Bible. But in Genesis, it's front, center, at your back, and your front, your left, and your right. Without God, we could have no hope. Now, that could be a strap line, and there it is in my head or your head. Without God, we could have no hope. Tick. What we're going to 
experience as we study Genesis is without God, we could have no hope. On a global scale, on a church-wide scale, on a local church scale, on a life scale, your life and mine, the more we learn about God, the better we will be now. Uh, these are three reasons to add to Roger's reasons, but it will be hard work. Uh, one of the dangers of uh, working through Hebrews, if you uh, didn't put the, the kind of hard graft in as preachers and small group leaders, would be the sameness all the time. And Genesis would be the same, sameness for a different reason. As we navigate through the twists and turns of this narrative, hard work will yield uh, an array of uh, colors and lights and shades and stuff as uh, God draws us in as a church, different people, different weeks, uh, where the Bible will be so relevant to our circumstances that all the time will be the relevance of our God in our lives. Now, let's get stuck in to the text of Genesis 12. The title uh, given to this sermon is Faith and Folly, but for God. Faith and Folly, but for God. Genesis 12, 1 through 13, 1 is one narrative. Um, one of the things that I miss watching uh, for the first time is Downton Abbey or The Crown. That just gives you an insight into my TV viewing along with the Golf Channel. Uh, I now watch Downton Abbey again and again and again. I know it off by heart. It's like a wonderful comfort blanket. And one of the great things about a series like Downton Abbey is that you're not left hanging at the end of an episode. Otherwise, a Sunday night would be depressing. Coherent narratives. And when we study Old Testament, none of you agree with that analysis of what makes a Sunday night depressing. No episodes of Downton Abbey. When you study Old Testament narrative, we've got to crack the actual narrative as it's given to us. And then the whole thing comes alive. And we could have split this in 2, 1 to 9 this Sunday and 12, 10 through 13, 1 next. We'd get more time in the text, but we'd lose the coherence. We'd lose the, the linchpin, the, the pivot in the middle, but there was a famine. So what are we going to do? Now, I've set out the outline on the sheet. You'll see it there. Uh, verses 1 to 3 is God's call and promise to Abram. Uh, chapter 12, verses 4 to 9 is Abraham's obedience, and he went. Chapter 12, verses 10b to 16 is Abraham's disobedience, and he went down. And chapter 12, verses 17 through 31 is God's deliverance of Abram. God brought him back home. And the pivot verse in the middle, the turning point in the narrative is verse 10, there was famine in the land. Now let's work through what happens in more detail. So firstly, God's call and his promise, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now Rog took us through these verses as part of a, a kind of trailer at the beginning of the summer. Uh, he took us back there last week as a, a kind of reminder, and uh, I'm going to just touch on them for the third and last time, because they are so important verses in the Bible. Let's read them again, one to three. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. What a wonderful, wonderful uh, promise. God chooses Abram as the line of promise through which God will call a vast multitude of people from the nations of the earth to be his own, to save them, to bless them. And as Christians gathered here this morning, we are part of the fulfillment of this promise. That's astonishing. Wonderful. God does not choose Abraham because of anything significant or special about him. It's not about Abraham, it's about God. Abraham's salvation is not about Abraham. It's about God, God's grace, his undeserved mercy. And likewise, your salvation and mine is not about you and me. It is about God and his gracious mercy. Now stop and pause and don't confuse that with God's love. Now, it's not that God didn't love Abram. It's not that God doesn't love us. He did and he does. He loved Abram and he blessed him. He loves us and he blesses us, but not because we're lovable or deserving, but because God is loving and gracious. One of the, 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 the ways that perhaps we, we talk loosely about God's love is that God loves me. God loves me. Uh, let's, let's, let's raise the stakes and enlarge our understanding of that when we think of um, how unlovable we are. He loves us so very much. God's promise to Abram is worked out through history in the vast multitude of people that he has called and is calling to himself and also worked out in history through one person. So the book of Genesis is about the beginning of the story of all of us and it's also the beginning of the story that leads to one man who is the saviour of humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ. That line to Jesus begins here and in Genesis we will begin to trace the family tree and through different events and through different people we will see what the Saviour will be like. It is like God's call and promise, verses 1 to 3. Next, Abraham's obedience in verses 4 to 9. Now here is where narrative is our friend, this genre, this kind of literature type in the Bible. Just listen to that. It's so straight, it's so direct, it's so honest, it's so true, it's so humble, it's, it's so trusting. Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. What we see here is the obedience of faith in response to the call and the promise of God. So Abram went as the Lord has told him. Now that is the obedience of faith. God said, he did. God promised, he believed. That might sound 
black and white or simplistic or naive, except that it comes from Almighty God. God says, we believe. And it's really important that we don't miss the strength and clarity of this. God called him and told him to leave a place where he was, to leave his people, to leave his home and his heritage, and go to the land that God would show him. Abram didn't know yet where the land was or what the land was. All he had to go on was the call of God, the instruction of God, and the promise of God. And and if that is an insight into the anatomy of the decision to follow God for the first time in Christian faith, that's right. There has to be sufficient confidence in, in the God who asks us and his promises to save us, but not all the answers. All he had to go on was the call of God, the instruction and the promises. Abram took God at his word and he went. He trusted God. He trusted in what God had promised. And there was a pile of uncertainty about what the promise would mean and how it would be fulfilled. But Abram trusted God and he went. Notwithstanding the uncertainty, he went. And notwithstanding the impossibility. I mean, the writer reminds us that Abram was 75 years old. He was an old man. And all this stuff is based on the promise of a child. And uh, he took Sarai, his wife, with him. And we've already been told in Genesis that she was barren. She had no children. She couldn't have children. Chapter 17, verse 17, we're told that she's 90. Notwithstanding the uncertainty and notwithstanding the impossibility, Abram obeyed God. He trusted God and he went. He trusted God's word and he went. Now we're going to see again and again in the book of Genesis a a very powerful and moving reminder. It's going to persuade us pastorally. It's going to persuade us in the grist to the mill of the struggles of life that, 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 that the right thing to do, the best thing to do, the safe thing to do is to trust God and his word. When they came to the land of Canaan, the Lord then confirmed to Abram that that was the land of promise, that he was standing in it. So verse 7a, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is the land where you're standing. And again, it took faith to believe that. To your offspring, I will give this land in full view of what we just read in verse 6. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. I will give you this land. But look, God, they're here. But he trusted. And all he could trust was God and his word. Such a powerful thing, such a powerful principle. Moreover, he worshipped God, verse 7b, so he, Abram, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then again, as we read in verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, Bethel on the west, I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham's obedience. Abraham's obedience. Um, uh, And we've got to just hold our hands up and say, it is commendable. It is inspiring. It is an example for us to follow. 
It is. God said, he went, God promised, he believed. But then there's a turning point. Something happens that leads to Abraham's disobedience. Verse 10 is the hinge in the text. There was a famine in the land. There was famine in the land of Canaan. So what did Abraham do? Verse 10b, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, to live there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, I've called that, and rightly, and the text is crystal clear in this, the disobedience of Abram. This is the disobedience of God. Now, what we've got to do here, and I've got to do as a preacher, and we've all got to do as we hear God's word, is wrestle with this. Now, our heads know, my head knows this is disobedience. Because God has said, this is a land of promise. But my heart is saying, is it really? Is it fair? It is disobedience because God has told Abraham that Canaan was the land of promise, the land of blessing. And the fact that there is famine in the land should not cause Abram to doubt, rather to trust in God and his promises. And, and when you come across a principle like that in the Bible, what we've got to do as we study it on Sundays and in our small groups is wrestle with it because it's hard. Surely, it's all too much uncertainty, impossibility. The Canaanites are in the land. There's no way this promise about a child can happen and now there is famine. It's God just not being unreasonable to expect us to stay. Now what are we learning through this narrative? Well, we're learning to trust God, but we're learning how terribly difficult it is often to do it. That's just real, isn't it? It's hard to trust in God's promises in light of what is happening around us, in, what, in light of what we see, in light of what we feel. It's real. We understand his predicament. We'd be fools to think we would not, could not, have not, and are doing what he did. We'd be lying to say we've never taken a step like that. But none of that, in the end of the day, makes it right. Uh, let me give you just a couple of other cross-references that make it really clear that what Abraham did was disobeying God. So the first one, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it, Genesis 26 um, it's a repeat of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, with one addition, one phrase added in Genesis 26, do not go down to Egypt. So for the avoidance of doubt, that was wrong. The second cross-reference is, is the book of Ruth. You could maybe have a look at that and read it um, at another time. Uh, the story told in that little book of Ruth, that what was a pivotal time in the working of the line of promise to Abraham, was of a family leaving the land of promise because there was a famine. 
a decision to disobey God, the consequences of which, but for God's grace, threaten to scupper the purposes of God being uh, fulfilled. Now let's just track um, Abram's disobedience. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, now, I, I don't think we're meant to be able to explain what was in his mind. I think it's hard to know what was in his mind. I think what's going on is that he, he, he's in the, the kind of realm of disobedience and he concocts some idea in his head that it would be better passing off his wife as his sister. So he says, I, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your, your sake. Now, if you can understand the logic in his mind, well, it's hard to do that. It's just it's wrong. It's, it's not right. It, we, also, we often will, will construct and concoct things in our minds and our lives that, that are just not right, and, and they begin to, to compound. Uh, it lacks trust in God. Verse 14. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's uh, uh, house. Now, I I'm not sure if, if, Pharaoh, if uh, Abraham would think at that point, well, the plan is working or it's just trying to go horribly wrong. Um, uh, uh, how are they going to get out of this mess? And the next thing we're told, and this is a uh, just so real, is that it looks like it's worked. So look at verse uh, 16. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And down there in Egypt, Abraham began to say, I was right. God is blessing us. Over uh, the years, as a, as a Christian pastor, the, 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 the statement that I've come to be most concerned about is when somebody says to me, and of course there, there can be absolute veracity in this and truth and rightness, God has told me. Or God has said. Or God has laid on my heart. Now, what you need to say to somebody when they say that is, well, let's turn together to God's Word. Let's have the confidence that when we're in Genesis or when we're in Matthew, that, that if that is true, we will find that confirmation and that confidence in His Word. It's the only way we can know and be sure. Isn't that real that when we're in the wrong place and things look like they're going right, that we start to say, well, God is blessing us. And then the text turns to God's deliverance of Abraham from his disobedience. And, and there's a gracious a gracious illustration of God and his heart. It's not that Abraham 
tries to unwind the plan, anything but that God unwinds the plan and brings Abram back. Faith and folly, but for God. Beginning of verse 17, but the Lord. Abram's uh, disobedience starts to unravel. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, I mean, this is striking, isn't it? It's just real drama. Uh, the, the, the Egyptian Pharaoh gets Abraham and he says, Abraham, what are you doing? She's your wife. Stop this nonsense. Go back. Take all the stuff with you. Chapter 13, verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. God brings Abram back to the land. Let me put it another way. Uh, God brings Abram home. Or another way, God brings Abram back to the place of blessing, to the life of promise, to safety, to the place of obedience. Uh, Abraham uh, did not take the initiative to go back. God took the initiative to bring him back. And and if, if, if you are in, in some sense in Egypt, in some circumstance uh, in your life, contrary to God and his will, and, and your heart is inclined to come back, that is God calling you back home. Because he loves you. Now, in the few minutes we have left, uh, let me try and highlight from the passage some applications. Uh, this will be the realm of our studies in our small groups. This will be the realm of our conversations as we meet up and read Genesis or Matthew together and say, what can we learn? And the first question always to ask is, what can we learn about God? And then second, what can we learn about uh, faith? So what can we learn about God from this passage? And we'll see these lessons repeated again and again. Firstly, that God is determined to save us, even in spite of us. And there's a big picture dimension to that. God will not be thwarted in his purposes. He will not be thwarted in his promises. And his promise was that through Abraham's line, there will be a great nation of people, and through Abraham's line, there will be an individual, a Messiah, a, a, a Savior, and that's all tied up with Abraham, go to this land, that's the land of blessing, that's where it'll all work out from, and he goes to Egypt, and God's purposes are thwarted, and he brings him back. Now, you're all thinking, or I'm thinking, no, they're not, because God is sovereign, it's all fine anyway, because he's more powerful. Now, that is to confuse uh, the, the truth about God's sovereignty with, uh, with, with the, the real dynamic of working that out against humanity's rebellion. Yes, God is ultimately sovereign. But it's against the strength of our rebellion. He will not be thwarted in his promises and his purposes. 
He will not be thwarted in his promises and his purposes because he is sovereign, yes, but really what Genesis is saying is he will not be thwarted in his promises and his purposes because he loves us and he will save us. At a humanity level and at a personal level. Second, what do we learn about God? That he is kind. He brought Abraham back. Thirdly, that God expects us to trust and obey his word and to grow in faith. And we need to see that alongside God's kindness. At the end of this episode, chapter 13, verse 1, what's the difference between chapter 12, verse 1, and 13, verse 1? Well, we're back at square one. We're back to uh, number one on the, the, the board. And And uh, God brings us back home, as he often does in our lives. What we've got to do and think about then is is stepping on from square one, growing in our faith. And we'll see that with Abraham. He learns. He learns from his step and his life in Egypt. He learns. He embraces it. And he moves on. What do we learn about God? That he's determined to save us even in spite of us, that God is kind to us, and that God expects us to trust and obey his word and to grow in faith, as we will do over the course of this year in Genesis. Lastly, what do we learn about faith? Number one, that we will face famine often. For example, living in this world, health, or the loss of it, a famine of health, whether physical or or mental. Many, many people in our family, church family, will experience a famine of health in the coming year. Genesis. will help us. We will help one another if we draw on these truths. A famine in relationships. Because we long for one and there's no one there. Or famine in a relationship. that it's grown cold. Or famine materially, times of austerity, and we think we can can no longer give to God. Or famine professionally at work, a, a tough, tough season. Or in Christian ministry, a famine of fruitlessness. Nothing's happening. And in all of these areas of famine and health or relationships or materially or professionally or in ministry in terms of fruitfulness, and there are many others, the temptation, the desire of our hearts will be to begin to question God's word and his promises and his kindness and his love 
and that's just real. It's why we need each other. It's why we need His Word. It's why we are called to love each other. And what do we learn about faith? Don't go down to Egypt. Whatever that is, don't. And that's not worked out coming from a a lectern on a Sunday simply. It's really important that we hear this on a Sunday as God speaks to us through his word in that direct proclamatory way. Trusting that the Holy Spirit will be having his dialogue in our lives as we sit and as we stand listening to God. Don't go down to Egypt. But it works itself out as somebody meets up with you and and takes your arm or your hand and he says, don't, don't go. Don't go. And if you are there in Egypt, whatever it is, Don't justify our decision that it was okay. Don't justify it by what we see or feel. And another lesson, come back home. That'll be a watchword of, of Genesis the phrase, come back home. It's never go back home. It's come back home. Come home. It's God's initiative. Come home. Come home. Come home. Come back. God is bringing you back. Don't fight against him. In the book of Ruth, chapter 1, there's a word, a Hebrew word. I think the Hebrew word is shuv. S-H-U-V-H. 17 times, I think, that word occurs in Ruth chapter 1. Come back, come back, come back. Return, return, return. Come back home. Embrace the lessons. Keep trusting. Keep obeying God's word. And keep growing in faith. Now, these are not sound bites. This is the stuff of life that we will experience as a church family. Genesis will be a great help to us over the next year, for we do not study it as lone rangers. We study it together as a family of God on the journey to our eternity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we look forward to studying this book of the Bible together. And Lord, whatever the famines are that we will face and experience in the coming year, and there will be many, and there are people right now in this room watching online who are experiencing famine in their lives. And Lord, the desire in our hearts is to question, to doubt, to go down to Egypt, whatever that might mean or whatever that might look like. 
Help us to help each other and help us to listen to your word, not to go there. And if we are there, not to justify it. But I hear your beautiful words. Come back home. Come back to that place of safety, security, blessing, and fruitfulness. Lord, help us to embrace all the richness of this book over the coming year. Most of all, help us to learn more and more about who you are and what you're like, your glory and your love and your majesty, your kindness, your grace, and your sheer tenacity with us. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.